This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Rapcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk. And a special episode today, a three-man podcast, which might be my favorite form of podcasting. I guess there's just a little bit more banter, a little bit more opinions going on. And I'm joined by Mac and Curly. Uh, they just recently had an episode of Mac's uh, running off the screen. Uh, we've done uh, the three-man pod before. It's it's a lot of fun chopping it up with these guys. And uh, one of my favorite two people to talk hoops with. That's what we're here to do, because the Raptors... I don't want to say they're newly in crisis mode. They've been in crisis mode. There's a lot going on with this team. Now at 20 and 26, names are out in the ether as possible trade options. The team has uh, branching timelines ahead of them to choose from. And uh, Curly, Mac, before we get into it, how are you guys doing? I guess we'll start with you, Curly. Uh, Doing well, you know, outside of the technical difficulties that you encounter with technology from time to time. It's it's been good. No complaints. I wish the Raptors were doing better. Wish they were winning games that they're supposed to win, like against the T-Wolves. But, you know, there's still time. The season's still young. It's getting old quickly, but it's still young. (laughs) And and you, Mac? I'm doing well. Um, I'm getting over a cold right now. That's my voice is like rainy. I'm drinking some. Oh, really? I'm drinking some tea. And uh, yeah, I remember my, our last episode, I talked about losing sleep. I haven't slept last night, <laughs> so I'm very tired. <laughs> That's so funny you mentioned that. Every it, Just because you said that, sometimes I wonder, but then I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to message this dude at 3 a.m. You know, like, I want to go, hey, bro, are you up? Are you okay? Like, are you getting sleep? Like, I'm in a dark room with the TV on watching the game back. <laughs> I message him all sorts of hours, and I'm actually surprised he, he answers me sometimes. <laughs> it's kind of um, – that's Blake as well. Blake Murphy, famously a guy. Hit him up at like 3 a.m. He'll be like, yeah, what do you need? He'll be like, can you check this like Excel table for me? Like what what's, what are the Raptors' cap sheet if this thing happens? He'll be like, sure, pull it up for you. Hey, yo, Curly, by the way, do you use beard oil? That thing is like glorious, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I do use beard oil. Yes, yes, I do. It is. It is – key to keeping this uh luscious thing going you know what i mean i started using beard oil i don't think it's like revolutionizing my beard but it just smells nice it's like a nice little thing to have going on you know yeah definitely it gives you that softer look you know to compliment yeah. the, the soft voice that you have hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh he's the young jt man. oh yeah okay <laughs> cutting this here okay guys basketball now all right so the raptors we set the stage. They're, they're having a tough season. And the question here, first topic, is one step forward, one step back, or just do you trust fall into the arms of Bobby and Masai and say, hey, you take this team where you want it, blow it up, etc. Build the team in your vision starting from scratch. We'll start with Mac. Uh, your want for this team going forward, which timeline you want, and then justifying that decision, however you want. <sighs> I'll start by saying, if you were to choose a season to, or I mean, or, or I should say specifically a draft class to center a rebuild around, it would be a good time to do so. You know, it's a pretty deep draft class. Uh, if you center your focus towards the talent available in the draft lottery range. However, I've never been a fan of like the idea of a rebuild, even though I understand financially it's it could be the best way to go because of because if you're losing and you don't have cap flexibility, you're kind of like in no man's land. But I've said it before. The Raptors have good individual talent. They just need a better collection of talent. You know, I mean, a more cohesive unit, you know, more defined roles, responsibilities. 
and and the responsibilities that players are actually sold on. So I would use this deadline to just make tweaks to the starting lineup and bench unit. So in a sense, I would say I would step forward. Okay, so can we dig down on that a little bit more? Stepping forward, what is that when you say make tweaks? Are you talking about an outgoing starter? Are you talking about maintaining the current roster and using, I guess, future assets to add to it? What what are you what are you thinking there? Well, a lot of players are being forced out of position right now. It just feels like on our team. And what teams have done against the, the Raptors um, 6-9 strategy is just play conventional basketball. They stop trying to adjust to the Raptors style. They just play big up front. They emphasize quickness on the perimeter. And then they just attack They attack the paint because there's a lack of a shot blocking threat. So in my opinion, <clears throat> OG might be the odd man out. And I, I could explain. I know people, <laughs> they get touchy when you try and trade players, but if you believe the reports or not, he he's not given the leash that he wants, I guess, or the the opportunities that he wants to pro- progress in his career. And if you're looking at the starting lineup, which hasn't worked so far, they're in desperate need of a starting center. And, you know, if you're looking at maybe trying to trade Fred or Gary, or you don't want it to be extended, who's going to fill that void at the point guard or shooting guard spot, right? And I'm not in, I'm not confident in OG doing that. Uh, you look at the small forward and power forward spots. You got Scotty. He's not going anywhere. You got Pascal. He's not going anywhere unless he asks for a trade. And that just opens up the center spot, right? And OG again can't fill that. So unless you argue that Fred or Gary can get moved for a center, and then just put Scotty at the guard spot, I could probably hear you out about that, but. I'm leaning towards OG because the possibility of him giving you the best return out of the bunch because of his cap-friendly um, contract and what he provides on the court and his age, but also a place to give him an opportunity to truly reach his full potential. Okay. Very well thought out. There's a there's a response here. Uh, it comes from Caitlin Cooper. I believe in November, her and I were working on a collaborative piece. She's the best beat writer in the world, I think, for what it's worth. And she kind of mentioned a Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, OG and Anobi thing. And I think, now I wouldn't want to trade OG, just because if you if you want the team to be good, I think that OG, that, that guy, is really important to it. But I understand where you're coming from. I think that that framework, I, it could conceivably uh, improve the Raptors, but also... With Turner and Heald, it's it's more up in the air as far as like control of of contracts and stuff. But yeah, as far as shuffling it around, I think it makes sense from that point of view. And the the only quibble would probably be you're not going to get it from me, but people saying you know what is the ceiling of the team that you adjust to and all that kind of stuff. But that definitely makes a lot of sense. The Raptors they are constructed in a strange way, and conventional basketball definitely uh, it undoes them quite often. <laughs> Curly, any any thoughts on on Max takeaways here? Um, my takeaway is, you know, our thoughts are aligned. I, I think that's one of the main things that I, I enjoy talking with Mac about is that we have very like minded views, and it's not very often where two different people have, you know, almost identical views. But I do feel that this roster is capable of doing more. It's just a matter of are they going to live up to their full potential? And I think individually, not everybody has taken the necessary steps to reach their full potential. Or you have moments or you have stretches where certain guys are doing really well, but it's coming at a price of somebody else and then vice versa. And I think one way we can negate that is by bolstering up our bench. I think that is very, very important. And we'll take last night's game for example against the t-wolves and or any other game for for that matter when it comes to this season you take off the starters you get a big lead you put on the role players you stagger the starters the starters are going to be tired more times than not when you're staggering with the role players coming off the bench but we do not have the offensive power the offensive firepower sorry to maintain that lead and then you know, an 18-point lead will quickly become a nine-point lead, and then the starters are going to have to come in on short rest, and then so on and so forth. So I feel that if we cannot get a center, 
And if the Raptors are very adamant on keeping this core five, which isn't a bad core five. I mean, there's not many teams in the NBA that have five starters with the potential of scoring more than 15 points per game. And they did that last season. But we need to be able to maintain that. If they're going to be working their tails off and playing heavy minutes, then we should be able to support them by getting role players, which I definitely felt that while the front office did gamble on continuity building off of the momentum of last season, it's not paying off right now. And I definitely felt that they missed some opportunities with some role players going elsewhere on the cheap. One guy that really sticks out to me is Bruce Brown. I think Mac mentions it all the time. He's that connector piece that the Raptors would need coming off the bench. He can guard multiple positions. He's not afraid to shoot the basketball. He's not afraid to drive it in the paint or even muck it up with some of the bigs. How he's doing it at 6'4", I have no idea. But he's found ways to be successful. And to me, that is a guy that just spells out Raptors player. And and I think that's the direction that the Raptors should be going into. But I agree with Mac to an extent. This is this is the tough thing, which is that the Raptors, you build on this team because they do have, and you guys are both bang on, that, that, that starting five, each individually, you take them and set them aside and you ask NBA, NBA players, you ask NBA fans, coaches, is this guy a good player? You're going to get a yes and a resounding one on all five players. And then you can go even further with some of them. There's supposed to be enough there. And the thing is, though, is that all these guys, except for Scotty, are paid or getting paid. And so the flexibility of that roster is where the, the bench is lackluster, right? And so do you have the money to add to the bench? Do you have the draft capital to add to the bench? And does that, if you don't have the money, the draft, does that align with helping these guys in the immediate sense? Like if you go into the draft this offseason and you have the whatever pick they end up with and second round pick, is are you picking guys who are immediately going to be uh, available to help guys like Fred and Pascal win games? And, and is it effective? Or do you try and reset and adjust the timeline with a bit more money and all that kind of stuff? Because for the most part, and a lot of people address this, Masai and Bobby have not been working with uh, cap space, basically except for when they signed Damari Carroll. And, and also on top of that, they, they just don't have a good history of signing free agents. It's tough to build a team in Toronto. You don't, you don't get guys walking through that door saying, hey, I'll come in and play for cheap because this is a fun, you know, interesting team. You don't get guys saying this is a de- desirable market. None of that, which also makes it very important to keep the team good for the Pascal Siakam wants to sign that Supermax or is, or is eligible for it so he doesn't leave. And uh, they're just in, in an odd spot. It sounds more dire than it probably is, but it is more dire than it looks at like the first look. You know what I mean? Like if you dive into it, a bunch of things open up where it's like, damn, they could they could lose a lot of guys. Um, they might not know how to build going into the future. How do they maximize their assets? And it looks tough. It looks difficult. But then you step back again. You say, what? there's a lot of good players here. They're in a good position to pivot, whether it's forward or back. For me, that's why that's why yeah, I wouldn't yeah, blow it up. Sorry, sorry. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. why I wouldn't blow it. That's why I wouldn't blow it up. Because you know you have a good collection of players. It just is not fitting. So you got to find that odd man out and flip him to see if you can get something out of this group. You know, we talk about cap space, which is cool. But who's really going to sign to Toronto if we had this cap space? Other te- It's not like we're the only team in the NBA that's going to have cap space, right? And then you look at free agency. It's, it's a good idea to, yes, target certain players that we wanted, like Malik Monks and Bruce Browns, of course. Free agency is it's two-sided. They wanna they have to wanna come. They wanna have to have a defined role. And they might they wanna have to um fit what we have going forward as far as our culture. So in that sense, I think we should keep the guys we have and just flip one or two of them. You know, don't blow it up. And uh lost my train of thought here, but I I was gonna mention <laughs> I had a big point, but um yeah, keep moving. I'll, I'll, I'll remember when. In a yeah, yeah, yeah. The moment it comes back to you, just yell at me. Say, I'm in, bro. <laughs> Tap me in. Um, but what I was going to say, right, is that I would take that step back. And one step back for me means this season. And 
So this comes at the cost, likely, well, not necessarily, but it could come at the cost of Pascal Siakam's Supermax. But it isn't looking like, even if they maintain this roster, that he will end up with the Supermax. The last guy who was selected All-NBA on a bad team was LeBron James three years ago. Pascal doesn't have that cachet. He just, if the Raptors are in this place in the standings, he won't get selected to All-NBA. He'll be an All-Star for sure, but he's going to miss out on that on that Supermax. It seems like it's destined to happen. You may as well get a better draft pick, perhaps sell high on one guy. There are many, many different people want many different people outside of the Raptors. Gary Trent Jr. seems like the most likely because of his upcoming contract situation and the Raptors perceiving him to be less important to the, the core. Some people want Fred gone. As you said, there, there are upsides to trading OG, for example. I think that the one step back is probably the most viable option for the Raptors. And I didn't initially feel that way this season because I thought that if they if they kept the same course and they didn't sell it guys off, that they'd be a playoff team, even if it's the back end, and that Pascal Siakam would be able to get his all NBA selection. And then that guy wouldn't leave because there'd be an extra, you know, $40 million on the table for him. And you don't want to lose a Supermax guy. That would be the Raptors have lost a Supermax guy, Kawhi Leonard, for nothing. You don't want to deal with that. That's that's bad news bears. But the environment has changed around the Raptors. And as, as seemingly, not, not just uh, in what's happening on the court, but around the team as well, the vibes have gotten a little bit worse. And as somebody who's been there in person um, and, and asked these questions and talked to coach, players, all this kind of stuff, it's definitely been tough on everybody there. And you can see that the effects of uh, of it are wearing on them. Yes. So, so, so what what do you think is um, the reasoning for it not working? Or like working, like because <clears throat> what I'm noticing too, like defensively, there's not as much conviction. Maybe I'm reading too into it because we're losing a lot. So I'm kind of like trying to find it, but it doesn't seem like we're locked in as much defensively early on. What What do you think about that? Yeah, the defense I think is. So everybody is kind of aware of like the democratic room protection that the Raptors have run on is that they pull guys from everywhere. Everybody has to rotate to the rim, not only to effectively guard it, but to effectively rebound after the shot goes up. And the Raptors last year were much better. If you could plot it on like a graph of the court or, you know, you could see where they were meeting ball handlers last season. They were meeting ball handlers a lot higher, forcing higher pickup points and also forcing longer passes. This season, it's taking them a much longer time to meet the ball handler. They're getting deeper, and instead of the corner three being open where they can rotate down from above the break and then rotate up from the paint and kind of use their court coverage and their length, we're seeing more laydowns are available, and we're seeing teams shoot better in the paint. We're seeing them shoot way more often in the paint, and you know they're still giving up roughly the same amount of corner threes and the Raptors, you know, they are defending the court worse from the rim from four to 14 feet from 14 to the three point line. They they're and from the three point line, they're allowing a higher percentage everywhere on the court. And that isn't the trade-off you want for uh, that. Isn't the trade-off you want when it comes to getting out in transition and the turnovers. And so you're looking for answers as am I. I've gone to Nick Nurse. I've asked him a few times about this. I've been specific. I've been vague. I've tried to hammer it down. He will not engage with questions about the half-court defense. He said that transition defense is all they worry about, despite that being statistically uh, untrue. And so that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that he's lying. He could be more focused on that. But statistically, in things that we understand, uh, what we understand transition defense to be measured as, the Raptors are doing better at that than half-court defense. And they're also doing an okay job of limiting transition. And yet, everything is being pointed there. I don't know why, but I, I think we're all looking for the same answers for the set, the half-court defense as you are. And I'm sure Curly is as well. Curly, do you have any ideas about this half-court defense? To me, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head that they're giving up just as much corner threes as they were, you know, in previous seasons or as they are a career season. Sorry. But to me, I think they've gotten really soft in the middle. If you take a look at 
the the Atlanta Hawks game and even the Milwaukee Bucks game, these guys are literally just driving it right down the middle. Or even if they swing the action on the outside, on, on even at the elbow or even as deep as the corners, they're not defending the middle as well. And they're able to just waltz in there between the free throw line and the basket, sometimes even getting, you know, under right under the rim. Like I look at that one play where, you know, Drew Holiday was being guarded by by Precious and Precious did a great job defending him, forcing him to pick up the ball. But Drew was just pivoting in the restricted area with Scotty there just kind of watching like to see how it's all going to unfold. And if you're playing that zone defense and the ball is in the middle, it, it almost seems like the Raptors are always either collapsing late or or reacting too early, but it's just not a consistent play. It's like almost every time the ball gets into the half court, it's, it's almost like the same issues are always coming up and it, and it doesn't take a, a creative basketball mind to figure it out. You know, you swing the ball around the ball will always move faster than the player. We know this, but I always feel like the Raptors are almost reacting as it goes along. If they give up a three, then they're running people off the line. If they give up uh, a point in the paint, they're, they're collapsing and leaving people open on the perimeter. There's just not a consistent play. And, and I feel like they just have to pick a struggle, you know, pick a struggle. It's either you're going to clog the paint or you're going to run these guys off the perimeter. And to me, I think you will live with the twos, but you're not going to give up the easy corner threes. And that's just my little two cents mm-hmm. on that. It, it is interesting. When I think about this Raptors team, I think that, yeah, they, they do have trouble rotating to the paint. And they also have trouble rotating out of the paint. Um, and I think that, Part of the Raptors' struggles this season is fatigue, like a collective fatigue. Pascal Siakam is a guy who, you know, I <laughs> I actually saw a Reddit post somebody made about me saying, Samson keeps uh, uh, referencing that Pascal led the league in minutes per game and, and closeouts and isolations. They're like, I can't find these numbers anywhere. Is this guy lying? And so I that number is correct, by the way. It comes from Second Spectrum, which is proprietary. It is uh, not available to just go and look at, but it is the database with which NBA.com draws from, for what it's worth. Um, they have they have cameras in every arena that track movements and motions, and that's how they do all this kind of stuff. There's a bunch of AI involved in it. So it does bear, if you're watching NBA.com stuff or any of the statistics, watch the film after they've categorized it and make your own thing. Tangent over. Anyway. But Pascal plays that style, right? He comes out this season. He plays 40 minutes again last night. He's once again leading the league in minutes per game. He's once again near the top in isolations. He's once again closing out all the time. And Pascal isn't the only guy who carries this extremely heavy load. Scotty Barnes, despite his struggles defensively, and he has struggled a lot defensively, is still asked to do a lot. Just because he's not doing very well at it currently doesn't mean that it's not hard doesn't mean that there's not a lot being asked of him. Same with Fred, Gary, OG. These guys are getting killed over and over and over again. Every game, this this goes to the bench point, right, is that these guys need a little bit of help. And the way that the Raptors bench has been built is that it doesn't offer this, like, this salve. It's not coming in to ease things. It's like we come in and we want to ratchet it up. But we can't score by ourselves, so you got to stick a couple starters with us to play this helter-skelter type of style, too, and they have to help buoy the offense, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it seems like too much work. I've talked about this before, but Liverpool, the football club, they, under Jurgen Klopp, they played a similar level of helter-skelter uh, pressure play in the Premier League. And they also, they won. They won the Champions League. They won the Premier League as well. But playing that style where they ran way more for way longer than other teams eventually started. You started to see the negative effects of that. Uh, does anybody have any thoughts on my silly tangent about uh, football and, and basketball coming together? Any, any ideas? Are we finding, uh, are we finding the solution for the Raptors here? Well, well, I don't know about solutions. I think you're just highlighting more problems. <laughs> but I think I think it's very it's very evident, especially when you look at the box score at the end of the game and looking at the minutes played. And you know, and I think that right now, 
is probably the main source for OG slowing down. Now, mm -hmm. as you know, we've had conversation. Mac knows how I feel about OG, but I'm going to give the kid credit. He came out like a bat out of hell, like they say, this season. And it looked like he was primed for that next step, that leap that even Masai alluded to during media day. But I think it was very telling during the Knicks game, especially, where he was, I mean, the Knicks play a bully, a bully ball. And that kind of style is going to take its effect over you. While the Raptors have shown that they are able to maintain it, they do tend to fade away a lot quicker than the other team that's initiating all of it. But I look at, he's guarding Brunson. Then he's rotating and then he's guarding Randall. And then in the next, the next set, he's guarding RJ Barrett. And he's going to have to adapt guard, big forward, guard, big forward. And then it just continues a cycle. So that is eventually going to take a toll. And, and I feel that he's spending so much effort on the defensive side of the ball that he has nothing to give on the offensive side. And that's, and I don't think that's his fault. That's just the way that the Raptors are constructed. Hence why he was only able to hit those two big threes in the, in the overtime against the Knicks, ultimately helping us secure the win. But if you look at the game against the Bucks, you know, not as much bully ball, but dealing with guys bigger than him, a lot more physical. Drew Holiday, I mean, when you get on a run like that, there's no stopping him. And you you can find numerous examples. And now I think where you're where you're finding it, and I mean, even Pascal has been super engaged defensively. And I definitely feel that that's ultimately contributing to his offensive struggles as well. But if you go down the line and with the aggressive style that they play, I think what you're seeing is just, like you said, ultimately fatigue. And we don't have the bench relief to assist with that fatigue because these guys are getting, you know, two minute breathers. I think that I think the NBA should adopt oxygen tanks similar to the NFL <laughs> to, to assist these guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's uh that's where we'll leave the the future of the team that that conversation i i one more question for mac actually uh so you you talked about the draft being a good one you have this uncanny ability to just say you like a guy and then the raptors end up drafting him who do you like man who's going to be on the raptors next year he's the inside man, I guess, he's the inside I, guess, man. I don't know what it is but he he's done this multiple times before i yeah. think he's the inside man he's the mole yeah. <laughs> well if if we continue in, in this trend and we end up like let's say we're in the back half of that lottery i really like case and wallace he's a defensive point guard he can shoot the three he's 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 tenacious he has energy he's tough like i I love what he brings on the court but that would mean that we're getting rid of fred so i don't want to think like that but I, he's one guy who really stands out to me so Remember, I said Casey Wallace's name. I'll do so. I'll do a piece on him later on, closer to March Madness, to kind of get people more familiar. But that's a point guard I'm really looking forward to seeing in the NBA. All right, order your Wallace jerseys in in the Raptors <laughs> red, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. Um, I will clip this expeditiously if the Raptors do choose them. Okay, but as I said, moving on from the where is this team going into more of the hey, what have we liked so far? Which is a limited pool. If you want to hear about where this team is going and do it in a live setting, by the way, listener, there is a live podcast hosted by myself and Lewis Atzman at Rivoli, February 7th at 7 p.m. And uh, tickets are $20, but they come with a free drink. And if you're an all-star subscriber at the website, they are $10. Um, there's a panel with a bunch of different people. We have really cool surprise guests, um, people who are involved with the Raptors and uh, people who are involved in covering the Raptors, uh, some some big names, some good stuff. So, uh, yeah, get, get your tickets. Come listen to us talk about basketball for a few hours. And if you ever wanted to just talk about basketball with me, like these guys are doing now, uh, I will be there to chop it up with anybody who is interested. Okay, plug over, fellas. We're talking developments of these Raptors. Curly, as you mentioned, OG, like a bat out of hell defensively to start the season. Mac. We know how you feel about Scotty Barnes. I'm curious where you guys sit. You've been watching this team. Even though things haven't gone that well, some developments have been made. Curly, we started with Mac for as far as, you know, one step forward, one step back. I want to start with you. Your favorite development of this season so far. 
you know, like you said, there's not many. You could go OG. <laughs> you could go OG. You could look at Gary Trent. You know, he's definitely adapted well to expanding his his role and playing multiple roles, whether it's being a starter or being a role player, a primary role player coming off the bench. But I, th I can't help but shy away from Pascal Siakam. And I'm a firm believer in manifestation. He said he he's aspiring to be a top five player or to be in an MVP conversation. While he has slowed down a little bit, but I don't think anyone was expecting Pascal to take this kind of leap forward to be the all round player that the Raptors didn't know that they needed. And to see that he put in the work. And I mean, make what you want of the Rico Hines runs, but it was a fun summer if you were a Raptors. And, and I think that's part of the reason why a lot of us are really disappointed because we saw the work, we saw the footage that wasn't always readily available, especially over the last two years, but to see Pascal's jumper being so fluid, to see his ability to handle the ball. Well, it's not perfect, but the handle is a little bit better. And for the first couple of months prior to injury, he was one of the best players in the league. Now, I'm not going to look at this recent stretch and say Pascal is no longer a superstar because in my eye, he took that leap and you co-signed it that he is a superstar. He is that guy that you can potentially build around. Without question, he's going to be uh, the second best player on any championship contending team. But I think the the way that he has elevated his game, the way that he's able, when he's rolling, of course, and when he's not tired, to hunt down the mismatches and just seamlessly get to his spot as well, at will, similar to the likes of a Kevin Durant or even a Jason Tatum, mind you. It's just been a real joy to watch. And that's why I'm very adamant on trying to build on this season because it was a pleasant surprise. And now that it's here, I think we just got to ride the wave, capture that lightning in the bottle and run with it. But I think Pascal Siakam definitely leads in this area. I love the, the point that you bring up about the handle is we don't always know exactly what players have been working on or how you talked about manifestation in the more, uh, I guess, broad sense of like belief and all that kind of stuff. But also there's manifestation in that how you approach drills and stuff like that is what type of defender attacks you? What type of defense are you seeing, not only in drills, but during the season? And how does that manifest in you wanting to improve? Pascal Siakam might not have the nastiest cross. He certainly has a nice push cross in transition and when he's going downhill. But as far as like shifting guys, that's not a big part of his game. But what he does do is he never surrenders the pickup in a double. Like his escape dribble and he'll keep the ball alive and he'll keep working for passing angles. That that was something that we started to see a fair bit of last season, but something that he's one of the, I think the three best players in the NBA at attacking doubles now, just because of how much he saw them and how he reacts to them now. And the handle is a massive part of that, along with being tall and, and seeing over top and everything like that. But yeah, great, great point there, especially. And Pascal, just been awesome. Mac, favorite development so far? I think you know where I'm going. Yeah, my boy Scotty. It. <laughs> it's, it's my boy Scotty. He's I love what he's rounding into, right? Like he's turning into what we expected him to be. Someone who could beast in the uh, pain area, play make for others in different areas. It's not like he's doing it just from the high post, just from the corners. He's all over the floor, creating plays, pushing the break for his teammates. And he's finding a way to score over whoever's guarding him. I've seen him do a lot of short hooks over Brooke Lopez. And I was like, okay. This <laughs> he's here, you know, and um, yeah, he he's he sh his usage has gone up a bit. I think he's at the 86 percentile for his position, 91st percentile and assist um percentage, you know, assist usage, his foul percentage uh, defensively is at 86 percentile. Like he's he's jumping up slowly, and he's only at what 21 years old at the moment. So you could you see the the future is bright. So if if all else fails this season, if we end up tanking and throwing our season away, we know that we have another year or three or four more of Scotty Barnes developing, and that gets me excited. So what have you noticed, though? You know, like when you think about Scotty's development 
from last year to this season. Are you noticing anything different? Is it marginal in a bunch of places? Are there big steps in certain spots? What's what's the look? I think he's doing less analyzing and more reacting. I think he was a little bit more um, indecisive in the past when he's making plays. Now he's kind of turning the corner when he needs to. Um, he's pulling up when he needs to. He's not being too shy. Now that's that's only been happening recently. Earlier on in the season, I saw those things that he was missing last year. But from our recent like last 10 games or so, you really see him figuring out how to attack the defenses and when to attack the defenses at certain points. And I, I really love what I'm seeing from him. I'd like to, sorry, I'd like to add one thing. Can can we talk about how he's thriving in that pseudo center spot? Like the way yeah. that they're utilizing him is almost like a big and just his ability to kind of adapt to that role as to what we need right now has been nothing short of impressive. And like you said, Mac, you know, the ability to finish over true centers in the league at, at his position at his size and, you know, to an extent, a, a limited set of moves in the post to still be able to find success on a consistent basis is impressive. So for anybody listening now, after you listen to this, the full episode, um, you can rap, go to raptorsrepublic.com. I wrote about Scotty, the change in role. There's a bunch of like really insightful quotes from Scotty and, and part of the team and from Nick Nurse as well. Um, but also on the YouTube channel, uh, myself and uh, professional scout Josh Codanera did 30 minutes of just walking through Scotty's film, talking about this exact thing. And you guys are bang on, you know, if you put Pascal Siakam in that situation, right? And this isn't Pascal versus Scotty, different skills, different players. But it took Scotty, I think, four possessions of seeing a team completely drop their defense out of him, sink on everything. It took him four possessions to figure out how he wanted to attack it. And he immediately started kind of reacting to it, playing with the space as a playmaker, as a runway, as a creator. And he really helped his teammates because he knew that, hey, if I'm not going to be pressured up, if I'm not going to be played on, I'm a moving screen, a legal moving screen at all times. I can, if there's not going to be a guy playing up on me, we can create a bunch of two-on-one scenarios, not towards the basket, but in this space out here. And he started using himself like that. I think a lot of players in the NBA, that is not an inherent change to make. That's not easy to do. But Scotty in a moment, figured out, this is how I'm going to play this. And not only that, but they were able to, because he saw that defense, uh, I think in four or five out of the six games that they played in that stretch, he was able to keep on adjusting and do it against better and better defenses. And it did take him longer to do it against Giannis and Brooke. And we all know why, because that's two defensive player of the year candidates sitting right in front of the rim. It's tough to navigate those spaces. But he did eventually figure it out. And he did figure out how he wanted to attack Brooke and get Brooke off balance. And since Scotty last year had 57% on contested hook shots, like an insane stat, right? He has the touch to power him through these, these scenarios and, you know, the, the feel for the court and for the style of play. It's just seeing a guy take on that unique of a defensive response to himself and figure it out. Great. And this is kind of where most of the improvement I think is, is that Scotty's facing much harsher defensive uh, game plans this year than he was last year. Like most of Scotty's baskets last year were on mismatches or offensive rebounds or in transition. This is not where he's contending with the second level of defense. This is not where he's contending with set defenses or anything like that. Most of the time team said there's Scotty Barnes. We heard a lot about him coming out of the draft that he couldn't score. Let's see what he does. He made good on it. Now teams, they're going to hang that guy off, right? In in the help side, he, they're going to put a goalie at the rim. He has to navigate that. They're also going to shade the guy on the opposite above the break. He's going to split the difference and play zone. He has to make different types of passes against that defender. He's learning how to manipulate the floor. And it's we're seeing now he's on a hell of a run, right? Like it's, the, the numbers have been insane lately. That's the biggest thing is that the skills don't look that much different, but the implementation of the skills is where it really, really has improved. What a fun season for him. And I know he was, he was getting kind of, he was getting a lot of rough uh, takes from the NBA at large, the fan base, 
um, early on in the season. Uh, those who knew what was up knew what was up. And I think that's that's the three of us here. Does anybody have any other uh, takes on Mr. Barnes? Um, not a take on Barnes, but I, I want to say something about Precious. That adjustment, those different looks that you're seeing, I think Precious is really going through that this season. And you're seeing a little bit of a struggle, which is to be expected because of his play style, so to speak, that zero to 100, I'm going to beat you with my athleticism and, and strength. But you're also seeing the moments where Precious is recognizing those things. And 50% of the time, I'll give him credit that he's able to make the right reads and, you know, do a step through or just absolutely bully the guy and get to the rim. But I think that we're kind of seeing, or at least Precious is kind of seeing what Scotty Barnes is getting. It's just not to that level because I don't think anyone is expecting Precious to be as effective as Scotty Barnes, but it does come in bursts. So I just want to, yeah. Cool. yeah. I had a question for Samson. If if we were to trade, I hate, I keep bringing him up. If we were to trade one of our starters and a good one of our best defenders, I'm not going to say the name anymore. <laughs> for a for a, for a center. Say we do the Caitlin Cooper deal. Sure. Do you think do you think Precious Achua could fill that defensive role that is that void I should say that's left? Um, no, because Precious doesn't fill the offensive role. And like as much as as much as we talk about the game and that there's offense and defense, it's one floor. Like the big deal about OG, I'll say the name. <laughs> the big deal about OG, right, is that even if OG isn't having his best offensive game, even if he's not growing his dribble game, uh, he can hit, as Curly mentioned, like those two late threes. OG will provide spacing in the corner. OG will do all this kind of stuff. He'll cut really well. Like even when he's low usage, he's still really valuable. And Precious, and you know, Curly brought up some good points, and everybody knows I'm a huge proponent of Precious. Uh, I think he's not the full future, but he's part of it, man. Um, while being so talented defensively, yes, definitely. Um, he can he can be a wonderful facsimile of OG Ananobi um, for for stretches at a time. Offensively, the man is chaos incarnate. Like <laughs> you you can run actions, you can do whatever. Precious is going to take like he's going to take the wheel. You know, Kodak Black, let me drive the boat. You know, like he just he wants to be in it, dude. And it's so rare to see him as an effective bystander in an offensive set. OG is one of the most effective bystanders in an offensive set because he provides the spacing. If he cuts or shakes up or whatever, the defense is going to follow him. If they don't do a good job following him, if they turn their back, he can cut and make plays there. He can do laydowns, attacking a closeout. He can hit the three. Precious is like, I don't know, dude. A anything that if the ball ends up in his hands, who knows what happens? And part of that, is the reality that like this guy is significantly more talented off the bounce than many of his contemporaries in the front court. He can provide all sorts of things. But on the other side of that is like this guy can provide all sorts of things. The the bad as well. He he will run in there and he'll throw it off the shot clock. You know, like it's a bunch of stuff can happen. And while I still think Precious has like genuinely an all-star future ahead of him, ah, I don't think he can just like come in and do what OG does. Um defensively to some degree for sure but not with the consistency on that end and certainly not with the effectiveness on the uh the other end i would say i hope that's a, a good enough answer yeah yeah for sure especially with the way i i think to me what was the most impressive thing about og's development this season is that he's finding other ways to impact the game now he's crashing the boards a lot more the passing isn't pretty but you know it, it is effective in moments and He's I, I always say with with OG, it's almost like he's he's hunting prey and he's like stalking it and then waiting and then waiting. And then all of a sudden you'll have like a fourth quarter. Then OG is scoring like 10, 12 points or even 15 points. Or you have the moment where, uh, you know, he's hitting those two threes in the overtime that clutched us for the next once again. But then, you know, with Precious. It's not quite there yet. And I agree. I think the potential is there. 
definitely all-star. He has all the tools to get there, but he's not quite there yet. So I'm, I wouldn't be ready to put that sole responsibility on Precious. But I'll also say one thing about Precious for me personally. He used to give me a headache all <laughs> the time. I've made my peace. Precious, do whatever the heck you want, okay? <laughs> I'm going to live with the result because at some point it's going to taper off and it's going to be positive. And I'm going to look at that stat line. And I'm like, you know what, Precious? Good job, buddy. That's all I want to say. <laughs> every teacher, every coach, they all say it's the same ethic with different words. I'd rather reel somebody back in than have to pump them up. And Precious, you're never pumping up. It's just yes. go, 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 yeah. go. And um, <laughs> while, you know, I've openly um, uh, been against some of the commentary from Nick Nurse against Precious this season, I also have liked some of it lately where he keeps saying that uh, they need to prioritize getting Precious more minutes and that kind of stuff. So we'll see what happens with Precious going forward. Whether it's good or bad, it will be a romp and a riot. There's no way it won't be. It's just, it's the best thing in the world. Uh, Lewis had the best, uh, the, he had the yes. best tweet with that dog playing oh the piano on the building. I used to, I used to tweet this out, but then Precious became too good for it. But I think in the first like three months of last season, there's this, there's this still, right? It's like a two part comic strip where it's like this guy driving a plane. He says, like, I'm a genius. And then the next one is him saying, oh, no. And I would just like, <laughs> it's precious time. Like, that was precious so much of. And he really, he brought it. He dialed it back. Like, the, one of the craziest statistics of last season was post-All-Star break that per 36, Precious was hitting more catch-and-shoot threes than Gary Trent Jr. And hitting them at 45%. And, and I say per 36 be, just because. Precious was playing, I think, like 26 minutes a game, and Gary was playing 35. But in Precious's 26 minutes per game, I think he was taking 3.9 uh, catch-and-shoot threes a game and shooting 45%. Like, post-All-Star break, he simplified his game into, like, you know, pump, go, dunk on anybody waiting there, or or shoot it. And we saw that in the playoffs as well with him putting, you know, Joel Embiid on skates with him, like, you know, shifting the hell out of Matisse Tybal with that in and out dribble, finishing at the rim. And then obviously we all know his defense. He's he is a very like a tantalizing player. He's one of the most athletic players in the league. You could talk me into top 10, the strength, the explosion, the quickness at his size, rare. So, yeah, my bet. I'll bet whatever money you want me to put on Precious, I'll put it there. Um, does anybody have any other developments they thought were fun this season before we get out of here? For the Raptors? <laughs> yeah, we actually, so so I'll I'll start us off with Gary Trent Jr. I'll say Gary. Say Gary Trent Jr., yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gary, I'll go, I'll do the quick little thing and anybody can pile on afterwards. Gary has done a much better job at moving off the ball. He's also done a much much better job at his footwork attacking closeouts has improved. It also looks different. And he's putting down typically an extra dribble to get closer to the basket. And he shot really, really well on those closer shots this season, which has kind of revolutionized his uh, his game to not being as reliant on the heat of his pull-up jumper, which I think is fantastic. And his ability to get to the free throw line because of those opportunities. I think that's huge and that's been a huge game changer especially when the Raptors are really struggling to have that additional player that can get to those spots and create those opportunities at the free throw line I think it's a very underappreciated stat that uh that Gary Trent Jr. is bringing this season that free throw rate for Gary and and uh Pascal just yeah. wait that's that's the noise you make when something's going down I don't know what noise <laughs> Hey, yeah. hey, that was good. Damn, yeah, you go. That's the talent right there. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, that, that feels like a that's a highlight to end the podcast off on. Uh, I guess the, the floor is yours. Curly, we'll start with you. Tell the people where to find you. Uh, all that good stuff. Well, first and foremost, thank you for bringing me on. It's always a joy talking hoops with you, brother. Um, and playing hoops yeah. with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say playing hoops. Uh, you're, you are up there, 
Hey, uh, hey, no, 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 you take this compliment, damn it. You take the compliment. <laughs> you're one, you're one of my favorite people right now. Just, you're just a vibe brother. And I appreciate you. So I want to get that out of the way. Um, as for me, you know, I'm doing my thing with the podcast. I live by the zero three on Twitter and I live by the period number three on Instagram. Give me a follow posting stuff all the time, posting tweets all the time. I think I surpassed Mac in tweets oh, now uh, yeah, you know starting late <laughs> but you can find me at the live by the three podcast a raptors podcast and i'm available now on iHeartRadio. radio you can find me on spotify apple and google wherever your favorite platforms are and follow like and review mac yeah you guys know me i'm on raptors republic running off the screen um i've been Doing some more episodes lately. You guys have been seeing my face. So I'm going to try and keep consistent. Uh, like I said, I'm going to promise some draft stuff soon. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Man They Call Mac. And uh, yeah, just go Raptors. <laughs> and thank go you. Raptors. Thank you, Samson, for putting me on. And um, you've always been a calming voice when I'm stressed out about the team. So it's great. <laughs> it's, great. it's great to use this platform to vent. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and your nickname is Samson Ginobili, right? No. That's what they, that's what they call you. That's what they call oh, you in the streets. Hey, man, if I had only been balding from the back, it would have been oh. so good. <laughs> Unfortunately, the hairline, the hairline wanted me from all angles, man. You know, so, hey, sometimes you, you can't win them all, but that would have been good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, fellas, I, I very much appreciate you coming on. I enjoy talking hoops with you. Mac, we'll get you in a run with myself and Curly. At some point, we'll run a three-man weave. It's it's destined. Yes. In the yes. And, That's uh, a good yeah. name for a podcast. But yeah, yeah three-man weave for sure. And yeah, <laughs> running off the screen, as I said, is uh, the most accessible, the best looking, uh, my favorite stuff on RaptorsRepublic.com. Well, the, the YouTube channel of it and live by the three podcasts with Curly. Um, I can't recommend both enough. So to anybody listening, please uh, consider paying more attention to these fellows over here. And now that you're done listening to us, go do whatever you want. Thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.